0: see i, I yeah, tend to I have mean, immodest lunches that grossly immodest and um
1: which make it very difficult to have <laughs> a affair afterwards yeah well is this so is cool. it
0: mid mid it's hard to put on those flirty sentences so yeah <laughs> yeah
1: good morning everyone and welcome to the pleasure of the text podcast we are your hosts Gareth and Shannon and today we are engaging with our creative writing segment and what are we discussing today Gareth?
0: Uh, Today we're discussing writer's block. Does it exist if so or if not how do you overcome it? So yeah I guess I guess we'll start by asking you the question Shannon what is writer's block to you? Uh,
1: So writer's block to me is when I can't write. Uh, It's very frustrating Um, but it's not even that I don't have an idea. It's that probably I'm now lacking the discipline to sit down and write something. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. I see. I don't think I've ever really had writer's block. I think I've had full-time job, um, and, uh, people calling me when I'm sitting trying to write and things like that. Um, and I think you do, you do, um, you do need to warm up. So every time you get distracted, it's another sort of block of unproductive time. Uh, and that for me is what writer's block has been insofar as I think I've ever had it. Do you have any, uh, techniques currently for dealing with writer's block when you have it?
1: It's a good question. So I suppose, I mean... People listening who have experienced writer's block, if they believe it to be so, must be very envious of us. Um, I had it quite recently when I visited you and went on a a holiday for three weeks, and then I came back and tried to do some writing, and I just couldn't get back into it. So uh, the technique then was I read a lot. I probably read about five books, and then the two weeks and then i was ready
0: okay so basically our listeners should get from this that visiting me being around me at all can potentially cause massive writer's blocks. so just we should put a warning on these podcasts (laughs) uh just the sound of my voice is sort of destroying your creativity as i speak um but you can read your way out of it i think that's really sensible
1: I mean, you're giving yourself a bad name there, Gareth. I think it was less you as opposed to more me. So on my holiday, it was a constant go, 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 catching up with people, dopamine hits all the time, going out for walks. uh, To do writing, I suppose, unless you're um, recording your voice, you have to sit still in the space for a, a particular amount of time to produce anything, and I just wasn't in that habit after that period.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, so it comes back to what we were talking about, um, last week, uh, that you've got to kind of be at it every day. And, uh, what is it? Graham, we were talking about Graham green. He, he was saying that, you know, even if he was in the midst of a torrid love affair, uh, that would have to be after lunch and presumably you wouldn't have garlic for lunch, but he'd ride in the morning and then have a, a modest lunch. And then, uh, engage in his torrid love affair.
1: I'm interested in both the torrid love affair and what a modest lunch is.
0: Oh, I'm sure the two are connected. Yeah, they'd have to be, wouldn't they? See, I, I yeah, tend to I have mean, immodest lunches. that are grossly immodest. and um,
1: Which make it very difficult to have <laughs> a affair afterwards.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, is this so is cool. it. Mid, mid burp, it's hard to put on those flirty sentences. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: hey there girl <laughs> exactly
0: exactly um so i you know because i don't really think writer's block is a thing i i I thought well what how are we going to define it and uh and so i thought i better get into some deep research so i went to wikipedia um oh. yeah i really i
1: actually donated ten dollars to them two days ago <laughs> did you yeah because i was um doing research for our show notes and I kept going to Wikipedia cause it was just one of the best resources and it was all there. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to donate.
0: That's a really good thing to do. And people, people sort of dis Wikipedia um, disrespect to the max, but in actual fact uh, there was a study done and it was found to be as accurate as for example, the Encyclopedia Britannica um, and several other noted um, Encyclopedias. So hmm. it does has, it does have its mistakes. Um, but no more than any other encyclopedia. So I guess we should say donate to Wikipedia. It's a great resource. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, uh, this will in some way benefit us, uh, by endorsing Wikipedia, Wikipedia fans listen and subscribe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh but i did i i went to wikipedia and i i i found an interesting quote which i'd like to share um this is a direct quote from the web page in her 2004 book the midnight disease the drive to write writer's block and the creative brain the writer and neurologist alice w oh my god i flaherty flaherty i should have practiced this Alice W. Flaherty. Maybe it's flatty. Now, anyway.
1: I would say Flaherty.
0: Flaherty. Oh, my God. You see, I, I can't do flirty sentences. So I had <laughs> an immodest breakfast. Um, Alice W. Flaherty has argued that literary creativity is a function of specific areas of the brain and that block may be the result of brain activity being disrupted in those areas. Dr. Flaherty suggested in her writing that there are many diseases that may impact one's ability to write, one of which she refers to as hypographia, uh, or the intensive desire to write. So, you know, you don't want to write too much. Um, and actually Thomas Mann, I'm get, I'm going to distract myself. Thomas Mann, uh, famously said a writer is someone for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. Uh, so she could have something there. I think he'd agree. Um, and she points out that the condition of hypographia basically affects the patient's temporal lobe, usually by damage. So like when you're banging your head on your desk, cause you can't write, that's not a good, that's not a good idea. And it may be the same changes in this area of the brain that can contribute to writers blocking behaviors. So now Again, this is just Wikipedia, and I haven't looked into what the writer writer's blocking behaviours may be, but I, I assume that the implication here is that um, there is a sort of a, a series of behavioural processes by which we block ourselves. This okay. and brain damage.
1: So, yeah. yeah. Um, when she uses the word disease, mm. is she being literal in the word that there's diseases stopping people from writing or she's just being very, uh, expressive in her terminology here.
0: No, my, my impression is she's, um, speaking very deliberately. So again, you know, beware of typhoid Gareth because he's, he's got the disease and he'll give it to you. Um, <laughs> so, you know, just keep that in mind. It may be transmitted through, uh, radio waves. I really don't know, but like, and subscribe. So anyway, that's, uh, that was a great way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes. So that's, um, that's one theory. Um,
1: my problem with this is, you know, people love having their excuses and leaning on their excuses. How easy would it be to say, you know, I have hypergraphia. There's such an intense desire for me to write that I've just blocked myself. No.
0: My goodness. I I think during one of those lunches, you know, if you said that, it would seem quite tragic and poetic, wouldn't it? And that might be a way of beginning a torrid love affair. Don't you think?
1: Sympathy sex?
0: Yeah, sympathy sex. Isn't that what we all go for? No, wait. Oh, that could just be me. Oh no. Oh dear (laughs)
1: Gareth! Oh no. Well this one's
0: gone off the rails. Um But I'm gonna propose I'm gonna propose that um writer's block occurs for two reasons. Uh the first reason, and we talked about this last week, is that the writer is waiting for uninvited inspiration, which will likely never come to them. Um and the second reason is is I think a writer can be too close or too far away from their writing. Um, and I think in that case, you need to place a framed focalizing technique between yourself and the page uh, a bit like a pair of glasses. And this, this whole theory came to me in my forties when I started needing glasses. And when you sit in front of your writing without glasses, you can't see what's happening. You really can't see your writing. And I think it's actually not that different to having a, a kind of a, uh, a, a brain block. I, I think it's a similar sort of thing. So I think you need a sort of a mental pair of glasses and they might be for short-sightedness or long-sightedness. And I think there are two kinds of uh, lack of focus in writing um, and we can place these on ourselves to be able to better see our writing. And so that's what we're gonna look at today, putting on some glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any glasses?
1: No. No. And it's a point of tension between Luke and I. Luke's my partner. Everyone. Um. So he is saying that I will have to have glasses by the time I'm 40, and that's just you know clinically proven that everyone has to have glasses by the 40. And I am determined to have 20/20 20, 20 vision by the time I'm 50, just to make a point. I do not have glasses, so I'm not going to be able to put any on. And I was just thinking. So the person who has hypergraphia in Flaherty's point, you know, intensive desire to write, I would liken that to someone who has, in your reference, too far away from their writing. They have this really great idea. They're too far away. The, the point of, it's too meta, really, to then actually dive in and just produce a piece of work word
0: by word. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. Um, when you're writing well or when you're reading well, you know, you feel absolutely in alignment with what's happening. You know, like when you're reading well, there doesn't feel like there's any space between you and the page. It's like you're inside the book. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a focusing issue personally. Um, but we're going to approach it as a focusing issue and we'll see, uh, what we get out of that and, uh, and hopefully it's going to go well. I'm just going to drop my page on the floor, page two of the notes. So we're going to talk about, um, free writing. Um, Shannon, have you ever done any free writing?
1: Um, yes, I've done it once. And that was when I first joined your creative writing segment and you made us, uh, Sit down for a certain period of time and just write. Yeah, but I would love your definition.
0: No, that's that's actually that's excellent. That's that's exactly what happened. I, I force people into doing this, and um, they they usually find they were quite glad they did. Um, it is like doing warm ups. It's like being a singer and warming up your voice, or you know, a dancer and warming up your legs or whatever dancers use. Um, and as a general rule, I think writers are a bit like singers and dancers in the, if we don't have someone push us to warm up, we're inclined not to want to do it. Uh, and so one of the goals here I hope is to encourage people to warm up and there are various ways to warm up and even spending five to 10 minutes before you start writing the stuff you really care about uh you'll find the this just kind of trains your brain it sharpens and focuses everything and it really depends on what kind of writer you are as to what technique's going to work better for you um but looking at free writing uh the the version of free writing to which i subscribe um is very much in in the line of virginia wolf's writing um she published a collection of short stories in 1921 it was the only collection that was published in her lifetime um, of stories called monday or tuesday Uh, and the collection included eight short stories that were all experimental in nature uh and if you look at her work before monday or tuesday and her work after monday or tuesday uh the title not the days um, you'll notice that it had a fairly profound effect on her writing. And you can see the seeds of her later work, so Mrs. Dalloway and so forth. The titular story, Monday or Tuesday, um, uh, is a phrase that crops up earlier in an in a essay she wrote in uh, 1919 called Modern Fiction. And I'm just going to read this to you because I think it's interesting. So this is her idea of a new form of writing. Quote, Examine for a moment an ordinary mind on an ordinary day. The mind receives a myriad impressions—trivial, fantastic, evanescent, or engraved with the sharpness of steel. From all sides they come, an incessant shower of innumerable atoms. And as they fall, as they shape themselves into the life of Monday or Tuesday, the accent falls differently from of old. The moment of importance came not here, but there so that if a writer were a free man and not a slave, if he could write what he chose, not what he must, if he could base his work upon his own feeling and not upon convention, there would be no plot, no comedy, no tragedy, no love interest or catastrophe in the accepted style, and perhaps not a single button sewn, sewn on as the Bond street tailors would have it. So, I, I think that's a, that's a wonderful quote and it's actually something in a letter she wrote, um, to miss Ethel Smith. Um, and, and basically, you know, we'll we'll probably talk about different conventions of writing as the podcast goes on. And, um, you know, I think we're both fans of Asian writing. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it doesn't follow these conventions.
1: Yeah. Latin American writing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great.
0: It's wonderful. Yeah. But Wolf comes from, you know, a, a British tradition. And there are some really established conventions that she was dealing with when she was writing. And those conventions are still actually quite established now. Um, This particular book, I think was self-published folks. So there's no shame in that. Um, uh, and I believe, uh, I think it was a sister who did the cover art and the, and the other etchings for a text block sort of stuff. Um, That's and they did cool. like a hundred copies, I think, or it might've been a thousand, but it was a short run. Um, but yeah, she wrote these experimental stories and, uh, one of which, um, was called the mark on the wall. And when, I've done writing classes in the past. I've always used The Mark on the Wall as an example of free writing. I uh, I don't know 100% that it's a first draft. I think it reads like a first draft, like a fantastic and fascinating and scattered first draft. And in The Mark on the Wall, Wolf is very much enacting what she's describing in that quote I read. Yeah. She's just letting her mind go where it may. Um, and so I thought, cause people are probably sick of my voice and it could be creating writer's block as we speak. I thought Shannon, perhaps you would be willing to read. We have an extract. It's quite cut down, uh, from the mark on the wall. Would you be happy to read that?
1: Yeah, sure. <clears throat> okay. I'm just bring it up now. The mark on the wall. Perhaps it was the middle of January in the present that I first looked up and saw the mark on the wall. In order to fix a date, it is necessary to remember what one saw. So now I think of the fire, the steady film of yellow light upon the page of my book, the three chrysanthemums in the round glass bowl on the mantelpiece. Yes, it must have been in the winter time, and we had just finished our tea, for I remember that I was smoking a cigarette when I looked up and I saw the mark on the wall for the first time. The mark was a small round mark, black upon the white wall, About six or seven inches above the mantelpiece. And yet that mark on the wall is not a hole at all. I cannot be sure, but it seems to cast a perceptible shadow, suggesting that if I ran my finger down that strip of the wall, it would at a certain point mount and descend a small tumulus, a smooth tumulus like these barrows on the south downs, which are, they say, either tombs or camps. Of the two I should prefer them to be tombs, desiring melancholy, like most English people, and finding it natural at the end of a walk to think of the bones stretched beneath the turf. There must be some book about it. Some antiquary must have dug up those bones and given them a name. What sort of a man is an antiquary, I wonder? Retired colonels, for the most part, I dare say, leading parties of aged labourers to the top here— examining clods of earth and stone when a stroke lays him low and his last conscious thoughts are not of wife or child but of the camp and that arrowhead there which is now in the case at the local museum together with the foot of a chinese murderess a handful of elizabethan nails a great many tudor clay pipes a piece of roman pottery and the wine glass that nelson drank out of proving i really don't know what
0: Wonderful. The foot of a Chinese murderess. Where did that come from, I wonder?
1: Well, that's free writing, isn't it? Where does it come from?
0: Free writing. So we could imagine Wolf sitting down and just writing that straight out, not thinking it through. It just happened. Uh, Was there anything else about the piece that jumped out at you?
1: Uh, It flows like how you would think and you would speak it's not i definitely noticed that it's not structured in any way
0: yeah it isn't it well actually no that's that's not a, not a hundred percent true it does have a very small structural conceit which is the mark on the wall um, so the, the the idea the phrase the image and the repetition of the mark on the wall is a small structural conceit so you can imagine uh, it's a bit like, uh, you've, you've driven a nail into your desk and you're, and you're working your way out from it on a rubber band. And when you get too far away from it, you can bounce back to that point, that mark on the wall and start again in another direction. Uh, I guess you would call that a sort of a textual touchstone. So in free writing, you can use one of those touchstones if you wish to make it slightly less free. Um, and it could be anything. It could be a a sound, a a smell, um, a memory, anything at all, really a color, um, whatever jumps into your head in the moment, it's good to mix and match and try different things. Um, I remember once when I was doing some free riding for a, a class, there was a dog barking. Um, and every time it barked, I went back in my free riding to the bark. So I would try and get a little ways away from it. And then the bloody dog would bark again, and I'd have to go back to the bark and move out from there again. And it's a really interesting process. Um, so that's what I, what we're going to do in this, uh, when we do the creative writing podcasts, we're going to do exercises. And so what we're normally going to do, I suppose, if you want to join along listener um, is I'll set out what we're going to do and then you can hit pause, uh, and come back when you're done. Um, but in this particular instance, we're actually going to have some background noise for the two exercises we do today. Um, they're both going to be five minutes long. So if you don't want to listen to them, I imagine the best thing to do would be to jump five minutes ahead in the podcast. Um, but, uh, we're about to do that now, I think. Um, but yeah. the, the sound that we're going to use for this, um, for this writing exercise, if you listen to last week's, uh, podcast, um, we spoke a little bit about cafe writing and decibels. And I found the, uh, the actual source for that information. It, uh, is a academic article, is noise always bad? Exploring the effects of ambient noise on creative cognition. Riveting read, I highly recommend it. Um and what they found is that uh during a series of experiments, uh a range of decibels, around seventy decibels is about ideal. So it's seventy. Between fifty and seventy, fifty's really pushing it down, over seventy is pushing it too far up. And that was very much a cafe. It tends to be in that range. Um, also, if you're at home and, you know, you're trying to write and uh, your significant other is listening to TV, instead of shouting at them to turn it down, use it, use it in your writing. It'll, it'll help. Um, so anyway, we're going to do our exercise now, and then we'll come back at the end of, of the uh, five minutes. We're going to write for five minutes. We're going to free write. And so, okay, what that means is that you don't think about what to write you write about what you're thinking and you allow the play of associations to work its way across the page. You don't have to rush. Um, I'm quite certain Shannon's going to have a lot more to read than I will. Um, but it's really important to keep your hand moving at all times, or if you're typing your hands. Um, and if you find it a boring or annoying thing to have to be doing write about that. Um, so basically, yeah, five minutes. Um, and uh, and we'll get cracking, will we, Shannon? And we'll, we'll see everyone. Yeah,
1: I'm excited.
0: We'll put on so, some cafe noise to keep people entertained for five minutes.
1: Yep, and I will start the timer. And if you're driving, and obviously don't pull over and stop in the middle of the road, um, but go home and definitely do this because it will definitely be worth it. So I'm just going to stick the timer on now. And happy riding, everyone. And we're done.
0: How was that for you, Shannon?
1: Very therapeutic. Um, oh, it was great.
0: It's good, isn't it? Mm. Yeah.
1: Did you want to read yours out first?
0: Oh, I can. I can. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it a bit like, um, it's a bit like you're walking on hot concrete and you're like, this, this is rubbish. And then you hit the cool grass, the cool grass of inspiration and things start happening.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I should have written about that. All right. Well, I'm going to read mine, uh, read mine out now. Okay. So here we go. Sharing my free writing on a podcast. What was I thinking? It's bound to be self-conscious, awkward, self-contradictory, self-aware. What was it Camus said? You're always partly to blame. I'm wholly to blame for this, of course, but let's not labor the point. Let's try for some reasonable excuse instead. Hmm. My cat ate my free writing. Maybe I could pull a muscle claim hypographia. No, no pull a muscle in my finger. I guess writer's finger that might work like the draft, like the draftees who'd cut off their trigger fingers to avoid combat. Imagine being that person. I can imagine that locked in a hospital, locked in a hospital ward with others, others more valiant the casualties of war, all of them sharing their war wound stories. What lies would I need to contrive to survive in such a place? That's where I got to.
1: Well, you did start the segment saying that uh, I would produce far more than you, and I'm finding that debatable right now. That was quite Ooh. a bit, and it was fantastic.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. You could see I was all very rambly and self-conscious and because as soon as we started, I thought, oh my God, we're on a podcast. What was I thinking? And that was literally what I was thinking, um, and regretting terribly ever, ever suggesting we do this. Uh, but yeah, you can see that there's the potential beginnings of a story of someone being in a, in a hospital with a, Mm. a missing trigger finger trying to claim to the others there who've been, you know, valiantly injured in combat that their trigger finger got shot off or something like that happened. And I, I think that would be a really awkward comedy, uh, which I would love to read. So <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll write it. Yeah. You never know. What about so you? So you
1: just came up with that on the spot.
0: Oh yeah. On the spot. It was just where my mind went. I was thinking about pulling a finger muscle And I was, you know, thinking about my finger and thought, well, I could cut it off. (laughs) Um, which, you know, uh, they say that, uh, people would rather be in the casket at a funeral than the one delivering the eulogy. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think we have those kinds of thoughts. You know, you don't want to go to work in the morning. Maybe I can be hit by a bus. I I
1: used to have those thoughts all the time. And that's when I knew that I would have to quit very shortly.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So what about yours? Let's hear yours.
1: Uh, Well, I just wanted to stress that because last week we said, you know, waiting for inspiration is the mugs game. And you've already produced like this amazing piece of work in five minutes, which would definitely lead somewhere, like you said, a comedy. So yeah, don't wait around for inspiration, everyone. And just do this instead. Um, so mine, um, it was very much, uh, it's kind of similar to the mark on the wall where you were talking about decibels and shouting at someone to turn a TV off. And I, that's where my inspiration came from. Great. So, and I'll start. People call it white noise. I don't think it as such. It's just noise, insistent, mindless. It has never distracted me as it does others. I could never imagine falling asleep to its jagged volumes. Adds one moment, dull talk shows the next. I look over my shoulder at my husband, sitting in his second-hand lazy boy recliner, being nestled between the girth of his extended belly and sizable cleavage, far larger than my own. His tinglet has escaped the elastic of his holy boxes, ridden up his stomach to expose black curly hairs. I know if I come closer, I would see Lint caught within their within the hair's wiry embrace why can't he just turn that bloody box down put the beer aside eyes attentive and listen to me rather than the strangers over there
0: wonderful wonderful what an image yeah. it's very pungent isn't it yeah my um, goodness i couldn't work out if it was like a repulsive or an almost erotic image uh it was it was kind of interesting you know yeah had a real song no, of I- solomon vibe Ooh, Do you know the Song of Solomon? That? It's from the Bible. It's, um, oh,
1: okay, that's why I don't know. It's,
0: it's talking about, uh, God's love in terms of a sort of more sexualized kind of love. And it has all sorts of stuff about goat's hair and things like that, which, uh, and it kind of reminded me of that. It had that sort of, um, sensual sort of quality, but in a way it was sort of quite gross as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows if it had progressed longer and we had another five minutes it might be a, a sympathy sex situation happening it,
0: it might be i i guess that's what we hope for that character and i suppose we yeah. should whack the disclaimer on it that it's not based on luke
1: oh yeah
0: who was introduced earlier in the podcast um <laughs> and is, yeah. is is a slim and magnificent specimen so we might
1: be able to catch him in his natural element passing by <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So what do you think you would do with that piece? It's a, it's a wonderful uh description of a character.
1: Um I don't know. I kind of had this image where she would get up into the kitchen, start preparing dinner, and then while he goes off to have a shower, her getting the you know how you get those meat ni- uh scissors and you cut the chicken up, mm. going behind the TV and just cutting the cord. Oh. Yeah.
0: Oh my. That's that's sort of umbilical though, isn't it, as well. Yeah. Maybe yeah, you could bring probably... in a, a baby theme, you know, that they they never had a child. Um, but oh, the, yeah. yeah. And it could build into this whole thing, or perhaps even and
1: she could be jealous of his belly because she wanted the extended belly from Yeah, and
0: breakup. you know, he's got the cleavage, um, and there's almost a kind of uh you know, babies are kind of, uh, squishy and, and flabby and wonderful, but you know, squishy and flabby. Um, yeah. and so he could be a mixture of her and the baby and all, all kinds of things like that. And the box yeah. TV could be like the, the crib in which all his, um, paternal attention is directed.
1: Yeah. Gosh, writing is great.
0: Writing's great fun and it's really good to do it with other people. It's good to bounce ideas. I think people are way too worried about having a sort of a, an isolated original thought, you know, that, that, yeah. that, um, cliche of creative inspiration, which I don't think is a real thing at all.
1: That's definitely something we should talk about on another podcast. I would say,
0: another I see what you're saying. Episode absolutely we'll we'll put that on the list to talk about so that's that's free writing and from that you can obviously you can build things and and sometimes uh particularly in your piece shannon there were strings of words that were really striking and sometimes it could just be strings of words that you pull out of your free writing that you might you know note down for a future story but once you've done that process you're kind of limbered up you know and yep. then you're, so do you're ready. you
1: use free writing before you start your writing in the morning?
0: No, because that's not my problem. I think free writing works really well um, if you need ideas. Yeah. Um, and my problem is more that I have too many ideas and can't slow myself down enough to pick one and move forward. So the, the way I stretch myself and I do it as part of my writing process. So I don't separate the two out. Um, I, so I do not so free writing, which we'll, which we'll talk about, um, in a minute. Um, I think people are either one or the other usually. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy doing free writing and certainly, um, you come up with ideas that you wouldn't necessarily come up with in any other way. So, so that's quite a powerful thing. Um, but yeah, I'm a not so free rider. What, what would you say you are? Do you think you, you, uh, like constraints or do you like the freedom of the blank page?
1: I think I like the freedom of the blank page. I mean, it's either or sometimes, I have an idea and then, you know, the blank page is an invitation for me to express that idea. Whereas other times when I'm struggling to produce or finish something, it's good to place a constraint on Mm. myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's possibly true that, I mean, um, I I'm probably a very singular sort of person. So I, I tend to always need not so free riding rather than free riding, but it's possibly true that, uh, it can be one or the other, depending on your mood and where you are in your life and various other things. Mm. Um, so let's talk about not so free riding. This is the one I use all the time. I'll explain okay. that a bit more down the track, but we have another wonderful quote. Um, this one, I'm not going to actually say who it's by right now, Um, But if you could, once again, read this difficult uh, extract out, Shannon, that would be much appreciated.
1: No worries. Noon rings out. A wasp, making an ominous sound, a sound akin to a klaxon or a toxin, flits about. Augustus, who has had a bad night, sits up, blinking and purblind. How was it, Augustus, now members calmly? It was, was it? it was. It was a solution, or a pardon, or possibly just a form of compassion, that was flittingly within his grasp, but which no word, no affirmation of his could magnify into what is known simply as wisdom. At which point, although not knowing why so insignificant a fact is having such an impact on him, it abruptly occurs to him that Jonah, his carp, hasn't had its food, a trivial omission on his part, but also so haunting that, without waiting an instant, Augustus puts his clothing on and whilst mumbling an indistinct incantation. No body is stirring abroad. Augustus walks to a pantry cupboard, picks up a handful of grain of a kind that Jonah is particularly partial to, and abruptly stops, having, in an unlit nook of his drawing room, on top of an upright piano caught sight of that curious black clay box, black from a light coating of Indian ink, on which, according to Savon, Thou had paid a first-class artisan from Japan to paint a tanka. Drawn to it by an almost morbid fascination, Augustus picks it up and holds it flat in his hand, staring at Val's tanka, a pictographic symbol of an incomparably finicky calligraphy and tracing out with a long arm thumbnail its insinuatingly squiggly contours, at which, and totally without warning, a horrifying inhuman cry is thrust out of him. Ay, ay, a Zahir. look, look, a Zahir. With his flailing hand caught in midair, Augustus falls down in a fatal swoon.
0: My goodness, well read. Gosh, it's, it's not an easy piece, is it? This is why I gave it to you to read.
1: Oh, okay, because you did read it beforehand. <laughs> I was unprepared.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's quite a thing, isn't it? Now, mm-hmm. in reading it, did you notice anything unusual about that piece of writing?
1: So I am going to cheat because I have read this through your writing course. Oh. <laughs> but it took me a while to pick up on it when I read it. Um, but it's missing the letter E.
0: Yes, it is. Full marks. Ding, ding, ding. Well played. Gold star. It is missing the letter E. There's no E in any part of that extract, um, which is, you know, really impressive in English, yeah. stunning in French, which is, which actually relies on the E even more than, than uh, we rely on it in English. The, uh, the piece this extract is taken from is called La Disparition, or avoid, um, and it's by Georges Perec.
1: So um, I did look up Georges Perec last week, and interestingly, this is this piece has been translated um, into Spanish and Russian, and in the Spanish version they don't use the letter A, and in the Russian version they don't use the letter O, and ah. it's just crazy to me that you have this piece that is missing the letter E in French. And then you have translators who are then having to reproduce the work in a similar fashion to what it's trying to to its original form in a completely different language. Also constraining themselves to removing a letter.
0: The whole thing's really stunning, isn't it? And again, Mm. it's, I I assume those uh, different vowels are because they're more prevalent in, in the respective languages. Um, now this is a 300 page book. Uh, it's a mystery novel. Um, and the, the technique of, of leaving out, uh, a letter or a series of letters is called a lipogram, a lipogram. So it's a lipogram, which actually, now that I say it aloud, doesn't it sound like something you'd send someone on their birthday to like be a, like a really fat person dancing, singing happy birthday, you get a lipogram.
1: Yeah. Well, lipo, lipo liposuction and then lipo is the word for fat
0: yeah you could have a lot of fun like setting up a business of lipograms but actually what people get is just like a little bit of a Georges Perec story <laughs> uh, it'd be so disappointing for them i suppose um but yeah so Perec is a he's a fascinating character and he was part of a group uh called the ulipo group um now i'm going to just uh, if, if you're podcasting this or if you're listening to this, you won't be able to see what I'm holding up, but it's the Ulipo Compendium for those who are doing the video version. Hello. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I, I heartily recommend it. It'll be in the show notes, the, uh, the link to it. Um, the Ulipo group were a group of, of writers who basically worked with experimental forms. Uh, and a writer that we'll probably talk about down the track would be Italo Calvino. He was a member of the, uh of the Ulupo group, but Parekh's a really interesting guy. And he, um he also wrote a short story that used E as its only vowel, um, which was in English was called the Exeter texts. Uh, but the thing that's fascinating about Parekh and the thing that I, I got into when I, when I found out about him was he said that the using constraints freed him up and it inspired him to the extent that many of his texts virtually wrote themselves. Can you imagine that?
1: No,
0: right. Yeah, you can't, can you? But, but I, I thought, well, that just sounds like a big load of nonsense, but I tried it myself. Um, when I, when I was doing my thesis, I, I, I had a very specific constraint on what I was doing in my writing. And once I applied the constraint, I was churning out text at a unimaginable rate, particularly for me. I was writing a chapter a day, um, and it was just flowing out and everything seemed obvious because the constraint made it so, uh, so, so I find constraints really helpful. Um, do you ever use constraints, Shannon, in your writing just naturally?
1: Um, I want to say, could I say using a particular point of view? So the second person, um, I do like to challenge myself in using constraints like that or first person, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're constraints, particularly if you're applying them arbitrarily and there's no actual reason why you're going into second person, but you're starting with that yeah. and seeing where it takes you.
1: Um the other constraint that I just thought of when I wrote Waltzing with Fish um the constraint there was to use the prime numbers in each sentence length yes that's, uh, that's that was wonderful. a really fun constraint
0: oh yeah no that's that's it in a nutshell wonderful what did you find did that slow you down or did you find you found ways around it
1: That was one of the stories that I wrote in one to two days, so I think it must have sped the process up. I mean, it was a shorter piece, 1600 words, but it was fun to, I suppose I would agree with the statement that it wrote itself. It was fun to kind of constrain yourself to that point. Um, yeah, it was, (laughs) a great exercise in creativity.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, you wouldn't think that, that putting constraints on yourself would, would free you up, but it, it, it can do it depends on the kind of writer you are. Um, yeah. I am very much that kind of writer. Uh, the more freedom I have, uh, the more chained up I feel. And, uh, because you know, it's, it's possibilities it? like when you have a million different possibilities, which do you pick
1: yeah the paradox of choice isn't it
0: paradox of choice yeah so so for me when i'm when i'm trying to get into my writing i will often uh almost every writing session actually i begin by placing a constraint of some description um it could be something like the process i'm going to be worried about right now is the process of a character getting through a door And so whether or not that's actually interesting to the reader, um, is irrelevant. It's the, the process for me is describing it in a great deal of detail and looking at it from different angles and trying to defamiliarize it, which is something else we'll talk about in another podcast. Um, and then once I'm moving in the writing, I may take a lot of that stuff out, but I find that constraint gives me a singular path, that I have to navigate and I find that's how I can do my writing so that's that's what I do yeah um, so i guess we'll uh will pop on to our second exercise we also have a little bit of a soundtrack for this and it's a dripping tap now uh, that is there again to provide an auditory constraint it's it's like a the decibel thing you you have to try and think past it Um, if you don't want to do that, then that's also fine. Skip five minutes ahead in the podcast and, um, and that'll be fine. So the exercise itself, however, is we're going to write about a memory we have of a person or a place. That's pretty broad memory of a person or a place. And there'll be two constraints that are at play, You have to write in short fragmented, fragmented sentences of no more than six to eight words.
1: Mm.
0: And each sentence has to be written backwards from right to left. So what I mean by that is you can write the word in the normal way from left to right, but you have to start on the right side of the page and work your way across to the left. That so the word order down. is the same. Yeah.
1: Okay, but we're writing uh, agent style.
0: I suppose so. in you know, in a way. Um, okay. Although I, I think the the individual symbols are also working right to left, so we're not doing that. So if you write the word um, have, it's still h a v e, but you write it. So you have to allow the space for it as you work your way across the page. It just it basically continually keeps you out of the flow of your writing. It keeps you thinking about it as writing as you're doing it. So yeah. six to eight words, that's the maximum length of sentences. No, no cheating. Um, and it's just a memory about a person or a place. Uh, okay. So, and yeah, and either listen to the dripping tap or don't, uh, see how you feel. Um, and you we'll can always cracking. pause
1: to go to the toilet if that
0: <laughs> well yeah uh if it does uh, in fact you might want to do that before you start the exercise in case it's too suggestive but, yeah um shall we
1: yep Five okay minutes. i'm starting the timer right now
0: and we're done okay
1: oh okay
0: how was that did you did you enjoy that process
1: Yes, I did. Um, this time I had to write it with pen and paper because I don't know how to do from right to left on a computer. So oh, that was point. fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, do you want to read yours first?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, okay. I remember the mornings the most. My nana used to walk in the morning. I always wanted to join, but it was early maybe five or six in the summer but it's irrelevant early is early she would knock on my door quietly walk in shannon we are going walking do you want to come i would nod be there in a minute then sleep would drag me back it's embrace strong against the brisk morning i would be awakened a second time much later breakfast she would say always with a smile i would give anything now That's where my sentence ended.
0: Oh, that's lovely.
1: That's really great.
0: So what did you find? um, What was different about that process, writing it back to front and in sentences of no more than six to eight words?
1: Uh, First, it was very hard for full stop placement because I would automatically put it in front of the word, but I needed to put it after. Um, It did slow me down a lot. And there was a stage, probably one sentence when I had to kind of scrub out a few words that it was a bit longer sentence, definitely slowing down. I had to think a lot more. So I don't know if I would produce more doing this once they got into the flow or not.
0: Yeah, well, this is the thing. You might start off with an exercise like this and then you might go, oh, this is going somewhere. And then you might revert back to the way you normally write. Um one of the things it does by being such short sentences is it to a large extent requires you to keep looking at the thing from a different angle. Uh, you can kind of, you can pile up observations little sentence by little sentence. But, but I noticed in your piece that you were kind of having to shift your focus ever so slightly, particularly at the beginning um, to accommodate the sentence length. And so you were getting more ideas in a shorter space. Um, and that, that can be an interesting process. So yeah. in a sense, you weren't going on a singular path there, you were multiplying the number of paths in the writing. Um, so how's that for an interesting paradox? Yeah. Uh, it's also a very touching piece. It'd be something i I'd, I'd be quite interested to hear more of. Um, if you decided, to uh, work
1: I only really needed one more sentence to finish. It ah, and just, you, were, you, know. you were
0: stymied by the timer, the yeah, flush of I doom. Was. Oh mm-hmm. dear. Okay. Well, I'll read you mine. Um, yes,
1: please. Uh,
0: this is about a place. Um, but it's not, it's kind of hard to explain. It's a place and a time, I suppose. Time being a place at times. Okay. It was a sinking. An odd sense of buoyancy about the shoulders. Green water, salty. I don't recall how tall I was then. The lake was twice as deep. The hole on the bottom twice my size. Two child lengths to oblivion. I waved my arms for help. I waved my arms goodbye. It was the first time my life flashed. So little of it back then, so little I was, half the length of oblivion, swirling, welcoming, and entirely new. So that was was my piece written backwards. Um, And that That was was great. Well, thank you. That was a memory of um, my uh, my first time drowning. Uh, You know, (laughs) we always remember our first time. Um, well, yeah, I love yeah. the
1: piece when you said you wa- you waved for help, you waved for goodbye. That was, oh, so punchy.
0: Yeah, I do recall that I, that was my, that was my memory of it. I was waving for help and when no one was looking, I kind of in that moment thought, well, I'm, I'm done for and that's what it is. And I felt quite at peace with it. It's quite a strange, um, and not something I've thought about in, uh, probably decades actually.
1: How old were you? Uh,
0: I'm not a hundred percent sure. I was small. I was definitely small and there was a great big hole at the bottom of this, uh, this lake we were swimming in and it had a suction to it and I swam over the top of it and it started pulling me down. And, uh, it, yeah, I, I suppose I would have been like maybe eight, eight or nine, something like that. Um, yeah. And I was an all right swimmer, but this thing, this thing was, uh, you know, like an aunt, an aunt that you you never really wanted that, that sort of just hugging you way too tight. It was like that. It felt friendly in a weird kind of way. I don't know how to explain that exactly, but yeah, you know, for me, um, that's a, a more useful approach for the kind of rider that I am. Um, I'm not quite sure if I'm, I think I'm, often uh what i need is to be able to see the writing more closely i think um when you need to free write it's because in a sense you're too close to your writing you're too close to your ideas and so you need some space from them Um, and that's what free writing can give you Uh, but for 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 my version of writer's block if such a thing exists uh, i need i need to be drawn in more and I find constraints do that. If you um, do go out and get yourself a copy of the Ulipo compendium, you will find lots of different examples of writing constraints that people have tried using, uh, famous writers, and obviously the outcome of of those writing sessions. It's really interesting stuff. Um, And I think if you use one of those uh, two techniques, you'll probably write your way out of writer's block, if it exists, and towards inspiration.
1: Yeah. And I'm really interested to hear um, or read other people's works they've produced in that five-minute segment. So if you would like us to read it out on our next podcast, please email it to admin at thepleasureofthetext.com. And, yeah, I'm happy to read anything out. I'm very excited to see what other people have produced in that time period.
0: Yes, please make it a really hairy thing so that Shannon has to cope with like lots and lots of polysyllabic words and awkward (laughs) rhymes. Get it in there and let's see if she can read it. Uh, I think that would be great fun.
1: Yeah, if you want to torture your host, um, definitely do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, if you'd rather torture me, I'll read them out too. You can nominate your host to torture.
1: Oh, that's a fun idea. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah. so yeah. we're concluding that well firstly you don't believe that writer's block is a thing mm. no. and it's just whether you're too close to your work or too far away from your work
0: that's it get yourself some glasses
1: yes just, go you just get the his, right your frames. eyes checked yeah um if you're if anyone owns a Uh, optometrist if you want to be sponsored just let us know and we'll
0: (laughs) like and subscribe yeah 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 great
1: um i think jay was really fun i enjoyed it Yeah. um well next time uh our next session next week go get yourself a copy of secret rendezvous by kobo yeah kobo abe Mm yeah yep yeah and i'm really excited i'm halfway through and i can't wait to talk about the horse the giant horse in the room um you'll get the reference if you read the book
0: (laughs) it does sound like fun it really does
1: yeah okay well thank you for joining us and until next time everyone see you later